Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good afternoon, Zinger Nation. My name is Logan Ross, and I'd like to welcome you to Moon or Bust, your home for all things crypto at Benzinga. I am solo running the show today. Ryan is not here, so instead we're going to get Chris Catchy from the roadmap to come chat NFT news with us, talk about some of the interviews he's done before, and then we also have our special ops reporter, Justin Roberti, coming in to talk about his interview with Andrew Yang yesterday. We're going to talk about regulation, uh, adoption, macro trends, all of that. So stay tuned, smash the like, let's get it started. Alrighty, how is everybody doing today? I want to know, give me a comment out there in the chat. What cryptos or NFT projects are you looking at? Uh, but without further ado, I'd like to welcome the one and only Chris Catchy to Moon or Bust for the first or second time? I think second time. Welcome, Chris. I think it's the second time. What's going on, Logan? Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited to hear about all the NFT news you've been covering this week. Uh, what's what's the headline? What's the story of the week so far? Yeah, you know, the, the big story today I wrote about was uh, another NFT project kind of getting one of these media um, deals, right? Or a talent representation deal as well. So the Flower Girls announced a partnership with Dolphin Entertainment um, and if you don't know the Flower Girls, I mean, some big owners, Reese Witherspoon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Eva Longoria, Brie Larson, um, Gary V, Brooklyn Beckham, and Time President Keith Grossman. Wow. So Brie Larson, who plays uh, Captain Marvel, of course, in the Marvel Cinematic mm -hmm. Universe, she even features a Flower Girl as her profile picture mm. for 2.8 million followers. So, I, I mean, Logan, now we've got, you know, Pixel Vault getting a talent deal. Yuga Labs, the Board Ape parent, getting a talent deal. We got uh, Robotos and Toy Boogers getting media deals with um, Time. Uh, Time, and then we've got um, there's a couple more too. Uh, you know, it's just huge. And you know, you as someone who owns like a, a mutant ape, right? You, you've got the parent company there owning you know, this deal where maybe eventually you're going to be able to monetize your asset down the road if they sign, you know, any TV deals, movie deals or more, you know, merch and entertainment deals. So mm -hmm. that's a pretty big deal. And it's it's cool to see NFTs evolve and get heavily into the entertainment industry. The fundamentals going on behind the scenes, I think, are amazing, but the market is not really reflecting that. We've seen a lot of absurdity in the NFT market lately, uh, from the Pixelmon release to, you know, the, what was it, Board Punks with uh, Antonio Brown, 100 <laughs> Discords. Like, what, what's your take on the, uh, you know, I guess, erratic, uh, well, I don't even know what the word, the craziness in the NFT market is right now. Is this a sign of, uh, you know, a, bi a big swing to come in either direction? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, uh, uh, I, you know, and I already see someone in the, the chat mentioning Gary V. You know, I go back to when I talked to Gary V on SPAC's attack, you know, months ago. Mm -hmm. One of the things he said was, you know, 90 to 95% of these NFTs could go to zero over the next couple of years. And I mean, mm -hmm. as someone like me, you invest in NFTs, that's pretty hard <laughs> to hear that, right? And pretty pretty sobering to know, hey, this could be worthless someday. So I think it just keeps going to the fact that, you know, you need to make sure you're investing in the right teams, you're investing in, you know, projects that have good roadmaps, they're gonna deliver on that. And, and you know, a project like Pixelmon, right? Uh, three ETH to mint that pre-reveal, like you're going based off of this artwork they're showing, but there's still a huge risk involved. I mean, mm -hmm. you you had the risk that it was going to drop from three ETH down. You also had the risk that, hey, maybe the artwork's not going to deliver. And that's what happened. And, you know, it unfortunately kind of wiped out a bunch of money from the, the NFT market too. And I think maybe you see people have a little bit more, uh, you know, concern about minting some of these 
bigger projects. And anytime the mint cost is over 0.1, I mean, I just feel like if you're not, you know, if you don't have huge liquidity and you're not, you know, heavily invested in the NFT space, it's just, it's a bigger risk. Do you think this is a top signal or a shaking out of the bad projects return to fundamental strength? I don't know about top. I feel like it could definitely shake out some of these bigger projects. Also, you know, the thing with Pixelmon was, you know, heavily involved with a game, right? Building a game and building out that metaverse concept. And so many of these NFT projects have that as part of their roadmap, but so few have actually delivered and produced mm -hmm. a working game, right? Or a play to earn mm -hmm. concept. I mean, Axie Infinity, obviously huge success story. Uh, you know, we saw the Mutants versus Bored Apes game that came out. There's just, you know, there these projects that have the the big game as their, you know, their milestone, they need a ton of money. And, and that's mm -hmm. what happened with Pixelmon. And they used up all that money. And now, you know, what's going to get delivered in the future? Uh, so I don't see this necessarily being a top. I mean, remember in the background, we still have the pending launch of, you know, Coinbase's NFT marketplace too. And I really think that that's going to drive a bunch of new people into the market. It'll, mm -hmm. you know, create some more FOMO. You'll see possibly another run on a bunch of cute PFPs. Mm -hmm. um, some of these projects that have kind of disappeared over the months, you'll see pick back up. So I, I don't think the top's in yet, but I really hope it does take away some of these, you know, uh, projects that uh, shouldn't even be in the market. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, Chris. I don't think the top is coming anytime before the Coinbase NFT launch, uh, but I guess we will see. Um, Chris, one thing that I don't know is actually your background as a writer, as someone who spends time in the markets. You were you did SPACs attack. Now you're in the NFT zone. Um, what what was your first uh, market niche market that you really dove into? Yeah, so I mean, I had limited exposure to uh, crypto or NFTs really prior to um, you know the start of 2021. Um, you know, I was able to get into Dogecoin very early um, 2021. I believe it was January 1st or January 2nd um, because I saw it trending on Twitter. Right. And as a writer, as an investor, I always try to follow the trends. Right. And I was like, hey, I could throw a couple hundred bucks into this. You know, if it becomes worthless, it becomes worthless. And, mm -hmm. you know, fortunately for me, it went up. And then as far as NFTs, the one that really got me involved was NBA Top Shot. You know, I'm a sports fan at heart. I collected, mm -hmm. you know, sports cards as a kid. And I was like, wait a sec, this is just like, you know, buying a trading card packs as a kid, right? You spend the money, you open a pack and you have that risk of, hey, they're all going to be commons and, you know, not worth the price you paid. But if you pull, you know, a rare or a legendary you can make, you know, a return or, you know, you can collect your favorite players. So that's really how I got in was NBA Top Shot. And then I was able to take some, you know, money from that and, you know, put it into Ethereum and start buying up some of these other projects. And, you know, as time goes on and I write about them more, research them more, you know, I'm getting more heavily invested in the world of NFTs and also trying to provide that education, you know, to our Benzinga viewers and readers. A few other people who got started with sports cards are Gary V and Alexis Ohanian, who you've both been uh, able to get their attention on Twitter. I know you've interviewed Gary. I'm not sure about Alexis. Um, yeah, but he's you, on the list. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I would love to talk to him too. Fascinating guy. But um, do, I, I guess how do you uh, how do you see the uh, I don't really know what my uh, specific question is here. Uh, I'm more curious to know, like, how do you get the attention of these big names, these big celebrities? Uh, as somebody who's maybe just starting their Twitter career or their writing career, um, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, having, you know, a good thesis or a good headline. So, you know, when I write my articles, you know, and I, I tag them on Twitter, I'm able to get their attention sometimes just because, you know, it's something that maybe they haven't seen yet. Uh, Alexis Ohanian actually invested in a play to earn game a couple years ago, and now they launched, um, you know, out of their beta and they have NFTs that you can earn. 
And I was able to get his attention, you know, just by writing about that. And, you know, we were able to share a conversation. Same with mm -hmm. Gary Vee, you know, just asking their opinion on different things. And so many of these interviews, you know, that I do on the roadmap that you do here on Moon or Bust, you know, it's just about, you know, having that platform and allowing these creators a place to share with the community, um, you know, why they're so passionate and why they're, you know, doing their NFT or their crypto company. So, you know, I think that's important to get their attention is just kind of, you know, sharing that same passion. Alexis Ohanian talks a lot about minimum viable community. You think this is a good metric? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ohanian is so smart and he recognizes trends. I mean, I see him still heavily invested in, you know, trading cards, certain players and, you know, mm -hmm. NFTs and also companies and, you know, uh, really trying to, to minimize, you know, the, the noise from outside places. I think he also is someone who, um, you know, he, he takes the projects that he's most passionate about. So he invests in, you know, a lot of different things, but the ones that he's highly convicted on are going to be the ones that get most of his attention and most of his money. And I think that's something, you know, Gary V also, you know, when he goes all in on something like NFTs right now, he, he has other projects, but this is the area where he's going to spend the majority of his time, the majority of his money, uh, you know, until the trend changes. How has Top Shot and sports NFTs changed the trading card market? Yeah, I mean, I think they've definitely changed a lot. And you're seeing now the trading card companies really shift to that digital model. So your tops, your Panini have also launched NFTs, um, although they're essentially just a digital trading card, right? Whereas Top Shot is, you know, a, a, a motion, right? It has the video aspect to it. So, you know, I don't mm -hmm. think people are buying, you know, the physical cards as much anymore. They, they want the mm -hmm. digital part where they can store it on the blockchain or they can have it, you know, on their computer and also, you know, trying to get those live moments, right? So Top Shot is all mm. about, you know, capturing in-game moments and we're seeing, you know, Tops and Panini shift to that too, where they're able to offer, you know, a, a 24 hour window. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but like when uh, the presidential inauguration, right? There was that famous photo of Bernie Sanders sitting in the chair, arms, <laughs> arms crossed with the mittens. Well, Tops has these digital trading cards called Tops Now, and they sold a trading card of Bernie sitting there for huh. like 10 bucks each, and you could only buy it for 24 hours. So, you know, there was a supply, you know, window, and after that was done, you know, people were selling them on eBay for, you know, 20, 25 bucks, making a quick double. And, you know, I don't know what they're worth now. Um, but again, trying to capture that in moment atmosphere that, you know, Top Shot has done so well. Do you think that the, uh, you know, the highly desirable rookie cards are more or less in demand since the rise of Top Shot and NFTs? I think your really old rookie cards are still going to be in heavy demand because there's such that scarcity, you know, as they've mm -hmm. gotten thrown out or damaged over the years. Your newer rookie cards, so like talking like NBA players who are playing now, I think it's mm -hmm. a mixed bag because they have rookie cards of physical and they also have rookie top shots, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, there was LeBron James moments that were selling for six figures and mm -hmm. he's got a rookie card, a physical one that's going for, you know, six or seven figures. There's not a huge difference there, right? So, um, you know, it's interesting to see the, the transition there of, you know, people collecting both or really, you know, shifting to one over the other. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, let's turn to some chat questions. So Zen Bullish uh, says he's new to the crypto NFT space and he is discouraged by Gary Vee's comment that, you know, 90 to 95 percent of projects will become worthless. Uh, you know, I don't think they will survive a bear market either, but I think that that's probably a good thing um okay so beanie is a name that that nobody talks about anymore but he, one thing that he did talk about before he uh was deleted uh was that all nfts should be free the free nft model do you think that we will see this uh I, I mean i suspect we'll see this at some point do you think it will be this year or next cycle I think it, you know, it, it goes back to that, you know, talking about projects that have that high mint cost of over 0.1, right? A lot of your most successful projects 
have had a low mint cost. I mean, even mm -hmm. like Bored Apes was 0 0.08. Um, mm -hmm. World of Women was like 0 0.07. The the free mint model, I think we're, we're not going to get 100% there anytime soon. I just feel like a lot of these artists, a lot of these teams, you know, they, they see dollar signs and they want that upfront money. And if you do a free mint, you're really, really focused on secondary sales. And, and really, if you're building a great project with a great roadmap, Ideally, you're not going to have any sales, right? Because everyone's mm. going to hold your project. So I think you got to find a happy medium. Um, you know, I, I know Beanie got deleted, but I think Beanie's coming <laughs> back. Uh, you know, I, I've actually talked to Beanie over the last year. Um, and, you know, I do like the free mint model, um, you mm -hmm. know, I, and I think there's some value there. And there's been some successful free mints that have happened, um, you know, mm -hmm. and it's it's a great concept and it's a very you know hotly debated topic too beanie said that he got lots of negative threats after posting about the the free mint <laughs> model obviously not a lot of teams love that but you know we'll, we'll see how it goes and i really think you know if if you just focus on your product the mint cost shouldn't shouldn't matter shouldn't mm -hmm. matter as much so you know mm -hmm. it's just something to think about but yeah well one idea that I have, I mean, I think the free mint model is amazing for adoption, right? If nobody, like if somebody doesn't have any NFTs, they see they can get a free one, then they're like, sure, I'll figure it out. Uh, you know, I'll spend the, the hour of my time in exchange for this NFT instead of having to pay money for it. I'd like to see more projects offer the first NFT for free. And then yep. if you like it, you can buy more for, uh, you know, a marginal mint price after that. I think that makes sense to me. I'd love to see that happen more. Um, but, you know, everybody just wants to claim they have a play to earn game coming soon and then uh, take everybody's money on the high mint price. Not sustainable, in my opinion. I think it's another one of those two where it kind of depends on the team, right? You know, if, if you're like Cool Cats and you've already done a successful project and then mm -hmm. you launch Cool Pets, yeah, you should probably be able to, you know, charge for it, right? Right. If you're yep. a team that has no experience launching an NFT, you're undoxed, a free mint might be the way to go because then you have to prove yourself, right? You have to prove valuable to the community. But, you know, I just feel like some of these projects that, you know, are already established, they also need the money, you know, to keep continuing on. So I just feel like free mint's never going to be a 100% model, but I really do think there's some value there in the future. Yeah. So are you looking to uh, pick up any NFTs now? Are you looking to get out of any positions right now? What's your short term take on the market? Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking. Um, I talked yesterday on the roadmap. I actually was able to score a rare Wonder Pal. Um, and I was able to get Congrats. on that whitelist just from a raffle, right? I told everyone wow. about it on the show. I said, hey, you fill out your stuff on this doc. You can get entered into this raffle. Uh, it was 0 0.08 to mint. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping to sell mine right now for 3 to 3.5 ETH. And, wow. and then I'm going to take that money, right? And I'm going to buy a couple other Wonder Pals that cost less, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't need a rare one, right? But I want to be mm -hmm. in the project. And, and then I'll probably get into a couple other projects that I've been looking at, you know, over the past couple months. Um, the price of Cool Pets has fallen tremendously because they've been so delayed in the launch of their game and the reveal of those pets. I think maybe it's worth, you know, taking a look at that. Um, uh, the Doge Pound is one I've followed for months and never been able to get into. And, you know, I, I feel like with the liquidity, maybe I take a look at that. They're building out a game and they've provided a launch pad to some other projects. Um, Alien Friends, I don't know if you know that one, Logan. They actually just released mm -hmm. their, their roadmap um, today or yesterday. And I was huh. looking at that, um, you know, because obviously... We talk about roadmaps, you know, on the roadmap and you guys also do here. And I mean, I look at it and they're doing um, this week. They have a kickoff invasion. The next week or in April, they have an incubator mint day, which every friend owner gets one. And then they mm -hmm. have version two free mint day coming up in April. They also have UFOs coming. They have merch coming. So, you know, it's one of those projects where. You know, and like Flower Girls, for example, Flower Girls is still like 0.56 right now. And, you know, you heard me say at the top, right, that they just signed that that deal that could mean media and Robotos. Mm -hmm. Robotos has an animated show coming out. And like, 
you know, Logan, I've got kids, right? And, and my kids, they don't know how much NFTs cost, right? They, <laughs> they don't need to know their hundreds or thousands of dollars, but <laughs> I can ask them, hey, do you like this artwork? Or, you know, do you think this is cool? And, and when mm. they see, you know, a project like Roboto's, they think that they look, you know, awesome. And I'm like, okay, so if they do a kid's show, it could probably work, right? And, you know, the value could increase because you're going to be able to monetize your assets in this show. So, you know, it's just another way to kind of gauge the market. So I'm not I'm not taking my money out. I'm, if anything, getting, you know, more in. So, I mean, I just think there's a lot of projects that are succeeding. And, and if you focus on what Gary Vee said of the 90 to 95%, I mean, it's risky. But if you can find a couple of those five percenters, mm-hmm. I mean, you can really do well. Yeah, I agree, Chris. I've also been adding to my NFT positions as well. All in, all cards on the table right now. Chris, what do you think about the PFP versus art, uh, you know, NFT debate? Will we see uh, a return to the art blocks, uh, art hype craze? You know, I, I, I love art blocks. I loved interviewing Snowfro and, and no shame to him or that project. I just feel like you're always going to have your collectors of the art pieces, but I really feel like the hype on them has died out and I don't know if it comes back. I think you're going to see continued focus on PFPs that people can use, you know, on Twitter and elsewhere, especially since Twitter launched, you know, NFT mm-hmm. PFPs. And, and then also the, the play to earn and the tokens, right? Everyone wants to make money and they want to be rewarded for owning an NFT. And, you know, if you're a collection and you're not doing, you know, a, another mint, you're not doing a token, you're not doing something, I think you're just going to lose people over the the months. And, you know, the art projects may look great, you know, in a, in a, in a wallet or on your wall, you know, in a digital frame, but ultimately mm-hmm. the, the value is all about the future there and not, you know, now. I think the scope of our metaverse plays into this, uh, you know, topic of discussion. You can't really show off a, a piece of art on your metaverse wall because you probably don't even have a metaverse wall, right? Um, yep. Whereas everybody has a Twitter profile and everybody can use PFPs right now. Um, so yeah, I, I think that you're you're dead on. We're going to see the PFP trends continue throughout this year. Um, so let's let's talk about Coinbase NFT platform. Um, I, I guess I'll just leave it up to you. Like what's exciting you about this? What's worrying you about this? If anything, uh, take it away. Yeah. I mean, I think my, my worry, I'll start with the, the negative, my worry and my reservations is that we've seen some competition come to, you know, uh, open right? We saw looks rare. We saw X2, Y2, we've seen a couple platforms launch and, They've taken some people, you know, to try them out, but it hasn't had that stickiness yet. And I really would like to see more competition to OpenSea, right? I mean, I'm an OpenSea mm-hmm. user. I think what they built is, you know, great, but also they've been kind of, you know, lax on, you know, growing it and building mm-hmm. out new features and, you know, hiring more employees, right? There's that joke that they only have like six people working there. Um, and, and, you know, Coinbase has, you know, such built-in infrastructure, you know, that mm-hmm. employee base. And I'm just really excited. And, and then also, as I said, I mean, they've got like 3 million people on that wait list, myself included. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see new people get into the space. And, you know, I'm excited to see them stick around too. The My big reservation there would be, you know, are they all going to join, buy one NFT and then, you know, get out after, you know, a project fails? Because, you know, that's part of the the market is some of these drop to zero or, you know, become almost worthless. And, you know, also, also the other thing would be, I compare it to sports betting a little bit, uh, Logan, you know, so these sports betting companies, they throw free money at you, right? So, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, all of them, they offer these signup bonuses. Is Coinbase going to just come in, you know, with a level playing field of, hey, we have all these people on the wait list, you know, let's get them started, you know, or are they going to offer, you know, huge incentives to people to, you know, switch from OpenSea or, you know, to join their platform? And, you know, is the market going to get more competitive there? I mean, look at all the crypto platforms. We write about it, right? All the ones that offer, you know, free Bitcoin, free money for signing up. It's all about that, 
user acquisition, but can you keep your users engaged on the platform? So that would be my challenge to, mm -hmm. to Coinbase is, you know, get your users, but keep an, keep them engaged and provide that competition to OpenSea that everyone's so excited about. Yeah, and I have a follow-up for you on that topic, but I also want to bring Justin Roberti on stage to join in the discussion with us. Justin, how are you doing hey. today? How are you doing, Logan? Good. How are you? I am doing great. Chris and I are just chatting about the uh, macro trends and NFT marketplaces, the launch of the Coinbase NFT platform. So, so, so long awaited. Uh, we saw LooksRare come out a couple months ago, and there was a lot of reports that OpenSea was blocking users who uh, you know, listed their NFTs for sale on this competitor marketplace. Right. Say that Coinbase comes out and does OpenSea volume on the first day. How do you see OpenSea fighting back or trying to maintain relevance once Coinbase, the giant, enters the market? Well, you know, um, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Chris uh, and Logan, wasn't there some wash trading essentially going on? Uh, mm -hmm. it, it looks rare to even. And so, uh, you know, I don't know whether Coinbase will achieve, achieve those numbers. I don't know if looks rare did either. And looks rare offered money to people mm -hmm. <laughs> in mm -hmm. order to get it, which really, if I'm going to open up, a, if I'm going to open up a store and start handing everybody a, a, a dollar bill who walks in my door, I mean, okay, that's good. Uh, it's not customer loyalty, exactly, is it? Right? Like, but it, it certainly got people talk. I mean, one, I, I found out all about looks rare because people were talking about the tokens one day. What will Coinbase have to do? They already have the footprint in terms mm -hmm. of users. So if anybody's going to compete with them, um, I, I assume that Coinbase can. But right now, OpenSea. I mean, let's let's bear in mind that like OpenSea was neck and neck with the rareable as recently as like the past six <laughs> months for dominance, yeah. right? And that seems like a like a thing of the distant past now. Like right. somewhere somewhere around May, June, they just blew up beyond and while the other platforms were blowing up too. They they went from uh one billion to two billion dollars in transaction volumes between May and June. Um, which is like what other industry could sustain that level of growth. So at this point, now that they've established that footprint as as a leader, I'm not sure that anyone is going to come in and make them not the default, not all at once. But if anybody could maybe put a dent in their armor over time, uh, I suppose it could be Coinbase because they have se such a powerful uh, local brand. But they've got a couple of problems going on right now. Like to me, uh, they're going to have to figure out how they uh, – Coinbase is going to have to figure out how they're they're going to navigate this whole Ukraine conflict thing to begin with, mm. so that they don't end up getting, um, you know, interfered with essentially by the government. And that this is there is uh, how they're going to define their responsibility. I think is really going to affect their future. I think the other mm -hmm. player that actually has a chance of competing with uh, OpenSea in terms of dominance is Rarible, but that's because Rarible went and lean is leaning in on on its SDK and integrating into everybody else's secondary marketplaces in order as a, as a strategy to compete with uh with OpenSea in terms of volume i i, I don't know that that coinbase has shown us anything that they're they're going to pull out and, and do other than be coinbase right now right like they've always had a good customer uh a good uh, customer experience um and i assume that they'll they'll continue to do that but we just literally watched open rare try uh, or sorry uh, looks rare try and uh bribe its way into uh into competing with them and it worked for a little while and then and then it kind of it didn't right we mm -hmm. like it, if i could uh, had had a little chart to go along with my twitter meter it'd be like lots of look looks rare everybody talking mm -hmm. about looks rare for about 3 weeks how much you know doom scrolling in your twitter feed right now how often do you see looks rare mentioned yeah i would add though i think looks rare is able to pick up the the pieces that open seeds leaving and we're, we're seeing that even this week i mean open was uh you know uh rumored to be taking down artists from iran last night and they were able to do transactions then on looks rare uh crypto mori's got a dmca request on OpenSea, so the project, you weren't able to buy or sell it on there because someone filed a copyright infringement, you were still able to trade it on Looks Rare. So, I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of where I see Coinbase fitting in, too, is, you know, take the bad from 
OpenSea learn from, you know, their mistakes and what users don't like and, you know, build that. And I mean, if I'm Coinbase, right, we just saw how successful that Super Bowl commercial was, you know, with the, the bouncing QR code. Do yeah. something like that to launch your NFT marketplace, you know, pick a big sporting event coming up, you know, the NBA playoffs or something like that. Do a huge commercial again and, you know, get people really excited about the launch. And then maybe you don't have to give them, you know, free money. You know, Justin, your 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 talk about, you know, opening a store and handing everyone a dollar. That's that's what I was saying with the sports betting companies. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a user. I signed up because it was free money for sports right. betting platforms. Right. But, mm -hmm. you know, when the money's gone, do you do you add more money and keep betting? No, you probably, you know, move on. So mm -hmm. how loyal are your customers? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and if you think about it, I mean, like, you know, consumers are uh, creatures of habit, generally speaking. Uh, you know, at this point, OpenSea is the default. And I don't I don't know that it would even be uh, a desirable approach for another marketplace to come along and try and unseat them. Like if I were to start an online real uh, uh, an online retailer right now, it would be a dumb business plan to be like, you know, uh, a, ste a step A or, or, you know, step one, uh, unseat Amazon. Like, like clearly not. It, it, it's, it would be to work in concert with Amazon. And that's that's the position that OpenSea has kind of put everybody else in until something goes catastrophically wrong over at OpenSea. I mean, they could always say, I'm not wishing that upon them, but until they have a platform problem or something where they can't handle the volume because because wow, I mean, you know, I, I am not enough of a uh, an analyst to to make comparisons about like if you look at the trend of like NFTs and how they've grown, what kind of product that you can sell? What 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 could sustain that level of growth? Um, you know, e even somebody just working off of like an ASP model where I, I'm just remotely serving an application would have trouble scaling like that. Zoom had to scale like that. I, I spoke to them about it at one point because of that amazing level of growth they had, but very few instances throughout history. Now, I, I think that because it's a simple product, there's not much, I've, I've talked to a hundred, I mean, well, probably, probably literally like 50, but I've talked to like 50 NFT marketplaces. Like there's not that much of a difference. People are trying to carve out a difference, um, you know, like one of, and kickflip where they're trying to like create a more personalized experience for the stars that they have on and so forth but right now what does that really mean that means like a better landing page that they put together for you you know um mm -hmm. it's fine i mean I'm, I'm not knocking it but people are trying to figure out like like how to even have uh, exist in the ecosystem like living around around uh open city i don't mm -hmm. see coinbase kicking them out i don't know but but that's just me Interesting. Chris, I know you have to run pretty soon. One last question that I have for you uh, is Web2 companies entering the Web3 space. Uh, we saw Adidas do a pretty good job at it, but one that really blew my mind was the Nelk Boys Pass. Um, why do you think that their audience was so ready to adopt NFTs versus you know other audiences that haven't made as smooth of a transition from Web2? I mean, I think a lot of it is your your founders and your leadership teams, you know, recognizing the trend and also, you know, as I said it, be highly convicted. Like if you believe that Web3 is, you know, here, it's coming, there's going to be growth of the metaverse, growth of NFTs, you know, growth of coins, all this, do it. I mean, don't wait. Like I, I see you know, a ton of companies now filing trademarks for, for the metaverse and, you know, whether or not they'll do anything with that is to be told. But I think the companies that got in early are going to have that, you know, that uh, first mover advantage. And they're mm -hmm. going to, I mean, look at all the companies that bought land and sandbox early, right? And how much that's worth now compared to anyone trying to play catch up now, right? And, you know, I just think it, it's a smart move. And I think Adidas did a really good job with that. I'm excited to hear more from Nike, you know, with their artifact acquisition. Um, I think that could pay off tremendously for them, but they've been rather quiet on it so far. Uh, Puma started announcing some uh, some recent speculation on Twitter with like Cool Cats, Lazy Lions, and some of these, you know, cat-themed projects. So maybe we get more merch and partnerships there. And, it, you know, I just think it's a, it's a great position to be in to go from Web 2 to Web 3. And the, the companies that move fast, I think, will have that advantage. Mm-hmm. 
All right. One last question that popped into my head. What's a bigger hurdle to adoption? Wallets or Discord? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You mean for companies or for a user? For users. (laughs) I I mean, (laughs) I feel like... (laughs) I feel like wallets is a big initial hurdle, but like once you get over it, it it's pretty easy. But I mean, mm-hmm. a, as someone who is in over a hundred discords, <laughs> Logan, I can't keep up with them all. I can't spend mm-hmm. enough time in there. It is very complicated. And mm-hmm. I think in both cases, you're seeing people not know what they're doing. I mean, discord, you get all these DMS all day long of people trying to yep. scam or get you to click on links. And I mean, look at the, the open C hack we just had, you know, with signing, right. you know, in your wallet. So yep. it, it's a lot of that education. And I think for users, both can be overwhelming and difficult. I, I would say ultimately, I think uh, Discord is is more of a complicated matter just because of the sheer volume that every NFT collection has their own Discord. Um, mm-hmm. So to be engaged with each community, you've got to spend a ton of time in there. But Wallets, I think, can be very complicated at first for anyone who is is new to the space. Yeah, I agree with you completely there. Yeah, it, it's a great question, and it's funny that you're you're putting them on equal footing that way, right? Because how do you research projects without getting mm-hmm. into Discord? NFTs yep. as they exist in 2022 are as much a Discord phenomenon as 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 anything else. Yep, that, that's, that's really funny and true. Maybe we should have a. Uh, we could start Benzinga could start a, a, an executive training program to help executives <laughs> at Unilever, uh, you know, and, and big companies like that, big holding companies, figure out how Discord works. We'll put them in a meeting room and just have thirty people just shout at them and interrupt them for, for an hour. And be like, this is what it's like. Try and talk. <laughs> just yelling at them from all sides so that they. I mean, I think that goes back to like the companies that recognize the trend. I mean, look at like Vayner NFT launching a whole NFT division and they're able to onboard these companies, like you said, Justin, that don't know the space. They don't want to hire their own department for NFTs. For real. So they Mm -hmm. partner. I mean, look at how long now it's taken, you know, like Walt Disney to get heavy into, you know, the metaverse and NFTs because they didn't have the right people. They didn't have the right partnerships. So I mean, my question for for you, Logan and Justin would be, you know, if Coinbase is coming and maybe, you know, then we see, you know, volume decline eventually, or that could be, you know, the top is Mm -hmm. if you're OpenSea or your Discord, like, I feel like you've raised money, you've hit a decent valuation, but if you're ever going to go public, like, is now the time to do so? Because what if on the other end of that spectrum, you know, the volume drops off and so does your valuation. So that's something I've been discussing yep. for a while, too, is like, when are the IPOs coming? What, what do you guys think? Hmm. It, it almost has to drop off, doesn't it, Chris? I mean, like, holy, holy cow. Mm-hmm. It seems we, unsustainable. It does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we if we if we manufacture more sentient beings and they have their own <laughs> then we're good just, just eternal growth, which we will have entered some weird timeline at that point. But um, now I, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think it definitely is going to drop off. And, but at the same time, you know, uh, nifty gateway has continued to, to grow very respectably. Rarible has continued to grow, you know, like, I don't think that there's room necessarily for, for the, you know, 100 boutique uh, platforms that are out there, you know, buy, sell platforms mm-hmm. that are out there. But I, I think that there's room that just like there there is Amazon, but there is also, you know, PotteryBarn.com, as, as I well know, my, my wife is on there a lot. <laughs> um, but, in, you know, so everybody, everybody has a place. It's just they're going to have to play ball with the dominant player, in my opinion. Definitely. All yeah. right. Well, I'm going to hop, guys. It was fun. Thanks, Logan, for having me on. Thank you so much, Chris. Good talking to you, Chris. See ya. See, we, we've got all of these blue and purple backgrounds. Benzinga's very blue and purple background lately. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I like it. The space theme. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, very techy. Justin, as, as yeah. a background, um, for anybody who hasn't seen your work before, uh, you know, could you talk a little bit about how you got involved with Benzinga, what you do, uh, what your favorite topics to write about are? Um. Wow, th- that, that's a great question. I mean, I... Uh, I write about people first and foremost, right? So like like technically speaking, my category is like tech, fintech, and I was uh, writing for Hacker Noon for a couple of years before I started writing for Benzinga. 
Um, I just got to know some of the people at, at Benzinga. And since, um, you know, I was sort of able to define my own my own thing that I'm doing with Benzinga, I started doing kind of a column. And then more mm-hmm. and more it got to be about interviews, which is not necessarily how it started. But it, it's for me, it's like I, I, I was producing documentaries in uh, like 1999, 2000, wow. you know, before before Logan was even, even born. <laughs> I guess it didn't yep. exist yet. Right, brother? <laughs> <laughs> you got that um, right. That's pretty funny. Um, so like I've always loved interviewing. And so leaning into that has been really, really natural for me. Um, and since that's all exclusive content, I mean, like starting last year, I mean, I've been working, I've been working with Benzinga for about two and a half years. So I've got my Friday column comes out, it comes out at 9am. Um, Benzinga is gracious enough to let me make it super freaking long because like it's like 2,500 words plus half the time. So I don't have to deal with keeping everything under 700 words or something, which is good because I'm long winded. Um, But like, you know, sometime at the beginning of last year, what I was originally trying to do was find influencers moving into the space. And this was pre NFTs. So maybe it was even the year before, but I was trying to find influencers moving into the space that sincerely had an interest in crypto and and find out who they are. That was kind of like the original article that I was going for. So I just started talking to people. I talked to Lala Anthony when she came along and did a little bit of promotion for Gemini, um, you know, Pierce Brosnan, uh, the Tiger King. That was that was kind of funny. Um, and and then when um, NFTs happened, uh, obviously, like. NFTs are uh, the thing that just brings all of the mainstream, um, you know, notable people and famous people to our door. So, uh, you know, now it now it's just been uh, a crazy accelerated by that. Like it, it's a comment I keep making in my in my column, that I, but like it's like wow, what a time to uh, to be in this space. Like they're busy. You know, I, I thought it was great that Chris brought up Vayner NFT. Because they're mm-hmm. killing it. I mean, in terms of this this gold rush that we have right now, like they're the ones selling the picks and shovels. They're the ones who have that. Who, they're ready to onboard your product if you're a Heinz Ketchup or Budweiser or whatever, and uh, help you be able to get get on board with this trend. So, like, I, I really what I really enjoy about particularly my my gig with Benzinga, aside from doing the shows, and I like arranging the shows and so forth. I like uh, working on the podcast, but also the trade shows that we do and stuff. Um, is like I really do like getting these interviews and because mm-hmm. I have the ability to because I'm not doing like a, a full uh, you know load of news or like six seven articles a day like so, some of the rest of you guys are um, it means that if I have to wait six months for the interview I will and if mm-hmm. somebody reaches out to me with uh, with with an, uh, an email saying you know I'm doing Johnny Depp NFTs I, I NFTs I write back and say okay let me talk to Johnny Depp and, you know, about half the time they can't, which is super annoying. I'm like, in which case, don't put them in your headline. <laughs> Dude, but um, no, it, it's been a, a super great trip. I actually, I, re- I really like writing with Benzinga. This has turned into a, into a pretty good thing for me, just doing these like, interview focused um, features, because I don't I, I don't see a lot of that in our space. And I don't mm-hmm. see a lot. Of it's like it's like I'm doing fintech writing that has in some ways uh the the uh the feeling of like entertainment writing or so or like social writing essentially because like I, my feeling from going back years back i had been working within the, the crypto space since like 2016 um and, and like you know in some ways you know the mainstreaming was not happening because we weren't really trying to look to share either we were using our language and like the way we you know our, the articles and so forth were impenetrable to a mainstream audience and to me Benzinga is consciously like a crossover audience uh, for people who are, you know, it, it, uh, people who are experienced in uh, in crypto and maybe those who are uh, have only been doing it for like a year or two or a little bit newer to it. Um, so I try to keep it at that level where it's a good story that communicates to everybody. Yeah, I have to say, Justin, I always look forward to your Friday column. Um, <laughs> if you guys have not read Justin's column from today yet, you need to go read it right now he talked to andrew yang about inclusion financial inclusion through web3 amazing interview justin what was your takeaway from talking with yang really smart guy i mean you you can see why he resonated uh with uh you know voters the way that he did during during his uh you know run for uh, for the presidency for the nomination um you know 
very, very smart, very, um, you know, focused. And uh, there, there's something like congenial and conscientious about him to talk to in some ways. And I, and I think that this is uh, so he, so he seems a little bit like a candidate and he still has kind of that candidate thing about him, you know, but uh, he also seems like he could he could be a tech CEO like with with, with his uh, with his point of view. And, and he's got this he's got the vision, too which I really, really respect. I think it's an incredibly smart pivot for him. You know, like he identified an audience that supports him. He knows that the blockchain audience is down with him because he, he was supported with a uh, universal uh, a basic income. And mm-hmm. it makes sense to try and pivot that and open up uh, economic opportunities or create a quality of access uh, through crypto. And now he's got a DAO that's essentially doing, um, it's called Lobby 3, that that's mm-hmm. doing. Uh, you, you can buy fractional ownership into uh, a lobbying effort, and then and then vote. You know for what programs you want to support through the DAO, and teach Lindsey Graham and anybody else in, in uh, Capitol Hill what Web three is, because that's what I assume <laughs> that's got to be one of their first jobs. But he he's there trying to promote the opportunities what that technology could bring to us, and it is it does seem to be a relevant thing to do. That's super one cool. thing. One thing that I've uh, kind of been calling out, hopefully it comes true, but even if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. One area of exponential growth that I predict people are underestimating is the political influence that crypto will have. In November, I said that, you know, I'm going to call it now, make a prediction. The the next election cycle will be driven by crypto. And, you know, I was called crazy for, for saying that. I said, no, it's not time yet. But... I guarantee you those same people did not see the infrastructure bill getting hung up on crypto. I don't think anyone in in D.C. barely uh, saw that coming. Do you think that, uh, you know, Bitcoin as a political force is going to take over uh, anytime soon here? Take over. I I don't know about taking over, but like, you know, I think that sometime in 2017, by a very slim margin, uh, the traditional uh, economic players, the traditional financial system had to make a call about whether they consider crypto to be more of a risk uh, to their control or more of an advantage. It is a little bit of a risk to their control, but it, but it it is also uh, obviously useful. So I, I think it's it's going to continue to grow. But what you really can't deny, you know, like I, I've done a few interviews with people who. Um, it's Justin like Ken Burns. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm like a fat Ken Burns who writes for Benzinga. Sure. Um, no, I but but I do. I'd love to do interviews. Uh, I love Ken Burns actually. I just looking at the comments over there. Um, <laughs> you know, like if you look specifically at the traditional system for fundraising around movies, I talked to actors like um, Jennifer Esposito. She's she's trying to raise two and a half million dollars to do her. Uh, to do her mob film, which is from the point of view of the daughters and wives of mobsters, like the point of view of, uh, of women. She tries to mm-hmm. go to traditional Hollywood studios and they tell her no, because if they, or they say, yeah, great, get Amanda direct it and make a man starring it, you can do your film. <laughs> or uh, Erica Alexander, who used to be cousin Pam on, on, uh, on the Cosby show, right? So again, these are people who are like already in Hollywood, so they already have the contacts. Same thing when I was talking to Julie Pacino. You know, their their raise that they're looking for is not that much compared to what we're used to two and a half million dollars to to do your movie uh erica alexander was 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 told uh no to her screenplay which which became um which she's doing a great series about now i really 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 like it uh it's great graphic novel that came about came out about 10 years ago and now it's nfts but she was told that black people don't like science fiction Right. And of course, she she is a, a woman of color. And and it, so it's you know, so she went off and she did their own thing. It makes me respect these people tremendously. But like mm-hmm. it really draws in a sharp contrast, like what kind of anywhere that there is a need for fundraising, which is virtually every human endeavor like, mm-hmm. dude, two and a half million dollars. I've, I've seen people with some weak sauce white papers in in, in, uh, in 2018 raise two million dollars. Right. And and mm. uh, the way that these producers have to go around and, and grovel to the studios in order, in order to get that money from them. So it's like in the case of uh, of what Ju- uh, Julie Pacino's uh, a recent film, she's coming out with a horror film, uh, you mm-hmm. know, like as I said it to her when, when I did that interview, um, 
it's kind of like if I had a horror movie in mind and the studios were like, nah, we're, you know, we're not into it. That's they, they try to tell her to put her dad in it. That it turns into the same thing over and over again. Right. Which again, it's a woman focused film. It wouldn't really make sense. Yada, yada. It's just not what you want to hear when you go into the meetings. So she just went out, went out and sold NFTs based on her photography. It's like uh, changing your bargaining position in terms of fundraising. Like if you could go out and sell a million dollars worth of T-shirts before you even go into production on the film, that that's kind of what she did. It, it's such a, a dunk on the on the traditional system that it changes. Mm -hmm. It's another place where the the power dynamic is changed between the studio and the uh, and the creator. Because at this point, mm -hmm. you can show. I mean, like it, audiences are are myriad, and there's all sorts of place uh, for different niche audiences now. Um, online and at this point if you can get onto discord and go find them and <laughs> spend the next several years talking to them 18 hours a day you know there, there's an audience out there for just about everybody you should you should make your uh you, you should do your your biopic now logan you should you should get on that before uh before before you get overly famous you should you know, work on it now and ra raise funds for it uh yeah i'll think about it <laughs> You seem so thrilled by that idea. I think it'd be. I think you're I think that'd be fun. Hey, if you'll direct it, then I'm sold. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I do have a. I do have a background in, in theater and arts, and I'm also an indie game dev in some ways. So when so when uh, I'm developing uh, Ship of Heroes, um, uh, which is a a, a uh, spiritual successor to City of Heroes, if anybody's old enough on on this uh, chat to have played city of heroes had a really devoted fan base and then they they twilighted it so it's like with my background um nfts are just a huge boon for me i go and talk to people that that are in industries that i can kind of relate to with the exception mm -hmm. of sports i have like no sports in my background but you know nfts are good for me justin we have about seven minutes left uh and I want to talk about something that's been pretty relevant in my personal life lately. I'm trying to teach my mom and get her to understand crypto. It seems like in the older generations, there is a fear uh, of the knowledge gap that exists, right? When yeah. you open that door into Web3, you realize that it's not a room, but a universe, yeah. right? And, right? And when you just have that little crack the door open it's pretty terrifying you don't know what's going to be behind it so how do you personally explain uh you know cryptocurrency what the heck is bitcoin um to to people in your generation oh wow well i don't know i think a lot of people in my, in my generation are probably like already on board like the gen xers right but like uh no for the ones that are not <laughs> <laughs> the ones who are not on board are not asking to have it explained to them because they think that it's all dark web money that, you know, used, used to buy drugs and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, I oh, I just knocked my light out. Um, I, I, I think uh, it is all about understanding digital ownership, like mm -hmm. it, and creating a user experience that's ultimately seamless. Like if, uh, you know, Amazon came along and created a standardized uh, online buying process, which made them huge. PayPal mm -hmm. came along and created that same checkout process and made it semi-universal. Crypto is trying to make it it's completely universal on a global scale. That That's one of the first, you know, when I talk about Bitcoin, because when you're talking about Bitcoin, that it only really has, you know, its, its role as a current, as a transfer of value. So mm -hmm. when I'm explaining Bitcoin, not necessarily DeFi, like that's kind of where I start. Like if you look at that as being like the end goal, like to kind of be the PayPal of, of being able to buy and sell everything, then it kind of makes more sense. But on top of that, we, we've all we've also been inventing um no financial instruments this whole time. This is just a new class of, of digital financial instruments. Um, to anybody who has experience uh, with with uh, traditional stock market, uh, should be able to get on board with that that idea pretty quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. I would think, but you know, otherwise, I, I kind of make like the PayPal the, the the PayPal comparison the same way that that PayPal sort of like untethered uh, the checkout experience from just Amazon and tried to offer the same kind of convenience or UX to everyone, uh, you know, more cross platform. Uh, Bitcoin is taking that a step further and sort of expanding it into everything in terms of a transfer of value. 
I, I think that a lot of people probably assume that, you know, if the system we're using now isn't broke, uh, then like why fix it, right? Why do I need Bitcoin? But I think that the, the bigger knowledge gap is actually fiat risk. Do you agree? Right. Um, well, yeah, sure. Because people don't, you know, people, people don't realize that it's called fiat or that there's any risk, right? Like, uh, <laughs> it's just, you, you are right. handed, uh, the, these, uh, these, these bills and coins and told this is money and, th and this is what you go with. Right. So, yep. uh, I mean, you're right that in the macro sense, uh, there's probably at this point, do you feel, you know, who feels strongly enough about the U.S. government that you want to have 100% of your money invested in the U.S. government? Because if you're, mm -hmm. if you're saving in dollars only and that, and that's your, that's your entire portfolio, whether you, mm -hmm. you look at it that way or not, some, somebody very, uh, very smart explained this to me like many years ago. It's like, you aren't making a non-decision by keeping it in dollars. You're, you're just deciding to go completely with one team. And you're betting mm -hmm. that that team is going to be completely prosperous. Um, and given mm -hmm. the, the performance of the U.S. over the past few years, that really is sound bet. You know, it, it's I mean, the question. It, it'd be a simpler world. Um, but I think like w what's coming out of this, when you look at things like uh, like I got to tell uh, Ben Armstrong that, you know, bit uh, from BitBoy that yeah. I, I, I was the one who informed him that he had, he had become the number one influencer in crypto uh, <laughs> when, they, when they originally tabulated that because they asked him for a quote about it. Um, and it's because he's doing this on, on TikTok and stuff. He's got a pretty significant TikTok following. So it adds like five million to his numbers. Um, mm. It just goes to show that there are more and more people of all demographics who not only see themselves as crypto investors, but are starting to look at themselves as investors overall, which mm -hmm. is which is really good because you know up till now the uh, the skinny about uh, Americans is that generally speaking we don't we don't save and we don't invest we mm -hmm. we you know put it into a little sock drawer essentially stuff it under our bed put it in a bank and just kind of keep our fingers crossed that that'll be worth something tomorrow. So seeing pe uh, more people take more control over their financial future is like one kind of net good for, um, I think, everybody that goes beyond crypto. Yeah, and the money under the mattress has worked for quite a long time, but we've seen nearly a decade or half a decade of zero interest rates, 30 trillion in debt now. Uh, mm -hmm. The money printing by the Fed last year uh, was the most significant uh, printing in fe Federal Reserve history. Right. Um, do you think the rules have changed now? The rules have changed in terms of, uh, well, I, I think any time that we, you know, if uh, just doom scrolling, uh, you know, Twitter or, or uh, Reddit or any social media platform uh, of, of your choice, will show you that not necessarily everything that has come out of social media is really like good for humankind but one one way that it does seem to work out and you can see it working out with uh ukraine right now is mm -hmm. that people are paying attention on a different level than they have before there's more information available and so mm -hmm. for people who have have the will to go get that information um you have the chance to be in a uh in a much better position. I mean, I, you know, imagine how furious uh, Putin must be right now. This is the fourth time in my lifetime that he's pulled something like this, probably more, honestly. Um, but it's the first time that uh, social media was paying enough attention that um, essentially there, there's there's an, an outcry. So I, I think that like, uh, you know, they're going to have to adjust to, to, uh, to digital ownership and that ultimately, you have a more empowered consumer out of this. But of course, you know, as much as during the bull run, everyone celebrated the the participation of institutional investors, I'm going to say as somebody who's doing, you know, if anybody who's been doing this past the the past two years, like longer than the past two years, remember when, when uh, you know, the institutional investors were kind of considered the enemy, that they were, they were the ones who created the closed system that we were here to write our white papers about, about how we were going to going to reinvest. So we do have to be careful about that, a, a threat to um, our autonomy coming in from all that institutional money. I mean, ultimately, what are you and I going to do to stop Credit Suisse from, uh, you know, seizing control of, uh, of, of Coinbase or of whatever, like be, being able to take a controlling stake behind the scenes in, um, in some of the biggest players like there's not very much that we can do 
um, other than have it get to be large enough that we still have kind of like a voting voice. I mean, you know, I, I always th- I always found that a little bit ironic as we were celebrating all the institutional mm-hmm. money pouring in. We like to see that line go up. The graph has always got to go up or else we're, you know, a very sad people after all. So yep. that institutional money helps with that. But it's also us, you know, the mainstreaming of it all is, is kind of taking us away from some of those ideals, including decentralization. Yeah, you make a great point there, Justin. I have about a million other questions that I would love to ask you, but we are out of time. So we'll have to have you on again next week. Um, Justin, thank you so much. Uh, Where can the people go to follow you to keep up with your takes and your Benzinga columns? Um, You can follow me at at Sensible on Twitter. I, I think that like I'm among like the first 20,000 like Twitter uh, Twitter users or something like that because I'm like that old. So uh, so I have Sensible, S-E-N-S-I-B-L-E. I post all my articles on there. I mean, of course, check out Benzinga. Go to Benzinga and just keep hitting refresh. Just, you know, when you start <laughs> out your day, just go to, go to the homepage, click on a bunch of things, hit refresh over and over again. Give us a bunch of views. <laughs> but uh um yeah no uh you, you you i guess for the most part you can find me at, at at twitter i guess that's kind of the the nexus of everything one day i'm hoping that my uh ethereum name service domains will be as much of a flex as your twitter handle is uh, <laughs> but only time will tell thank you everybody for tuning in today moon or bust your home for all things crypto app Benzinga. make sure you're subscribed if you're not make sure you hit the like button if you didn't uh, and we will see you next week. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Peace. Bye, Bye guys.